Welcome to the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast with psychologist Dr. Doreen Downing. Listen in as Doreen interviews people who felt they didn't have a voice or who suffered extreme speaking anxiety. You'll hear stories about how they struggled to speak up, what they did to find their authentic voice, and the confidence they now feel to speak up and make an impact. If you want to get started right away to find your voice, download Doreen's free 7-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. And now, here is Doreen. Hi, this is Dr. Doreen Downing. I'm a psychologist and host of the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast. I like to invite guests who share a life story, what it might have been like not having a voice. Maybe it happened early on. Maybe they were a shy type person, or maybe there was some kind of situation that had them feel a little let's say, uncomfortable being more of who they can be and using their voice. Today, I get to interview Michael Whitehouse. Hello, Michael. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, you're brand new to me today, and this is the first time we've met, and I'm opening the platform. I'd like to first, you sent me a bio. I'd like to read that bio so people get a sense of who you are right away. Sounds like a plan. Michael Whitehouse is the guy who knows a guy. In 2014, he came to Groton, Connecticut, knowing no one at all. A year later, after diving into networking with both feet, he was a major connector in the local community. And in 2020, he went global and began connecting entrepreneurs, investors, speakers, and others around the world to people they need to know. He offers his services as a networking concierge, making connections and building strategic alliances around the world. He is the host of the Daily Morning Motivation podcast and the Guy Who Knows a Guy interview podcast. Plus, I know that's your book, right? A Guy Who Knows a Guy? Yes. There it is. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, um, I don't know anything about you. So if I could, I always like to know, so where were you born and what was the family situation like first? Just get a little roots to your life. Well, I was born at a very young age in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And I grew up there. I was in Eastern Massachusetts. I went out to college. My uh, parents divorced at, when I was seven. So I grew up among four different houses, um, my mother's house, my father's house, my mother's parents, my father's parents. And and it was interesting because a lot of people w- would say like, oh, that's so unstable. You're moving around. And I thought it was great because I was moving around where I wanted to be. And there's things I got from each of these different sets of adults. So it was dynamic, but it was predictable. It wasn't like I didn't know where I'd be sleeping every night. Um, and I... Later was diagnosed with ADHD, probably unrelated to growing up in four different houses. But I think that's why it had that appeal of new experiences by by traveling around served me served me very well. Uh, so that's that's the early part of my story. Actually, part of one of the things about ADHD is that my memory is not spectacular. So I am aware of the major signposts in my upbringing, but don't remember a whole lot of it in detail just because I don't remember a whole lot of most things in detail because of the way my neurology happens to work. Oh, I like the way that you just explained that too, about the way your neurology works and acceptance. That's what I got right away from you is 
hello world, this is who I am. And I'm not making excuses. I'm not ashamed. And hello. Well, and that, that was a fairly key transition. Jumping forwards to 2020, the, the 2020s, when I was diagnosed with, with ADHD in college. And so for 20 years, I thought I was disabled. I thought I was you know less than because my, my brain doesn't work quite right. And on my Guy Knows a Guy podcast, I kept meeting people who attributed their success to their ADHD, their autism, their, you know, whatever their neurodiversity was. And finally, I thought, wait a minute, what if my ADHD is also not a disability, but simply a different form of cognition and has some pluses and minuses? And if I can lean into the pluses, find some great value. And in 2021, I was doing a lot of networking. I wasn't making any money from it. I was just making a lot, I was making other people a lot of money but I was making a lot of connections for people. And finally, it was pointed out to me that some people will pay for introductions for someone to do that work for them. And I love making connections. So one of the things with ADHD is this dopamine-seeking activity. And so new experiences. Mm-hmm. And for some people on the downside, you know, ADHD can manifest as cheating on partners or drinking too much or jumping out of airplanes or you know, racing yeah, drag racing or whatever. But that same need can be fulfilled by meeting new people. So I was just compulsively meeting people. And I used to joke I was a compulsive networker. And then I learned more about ADHD and realized, oh, I actually literally am a compulsive networker. Like I have a need to meet new people, have new experiences, have new conversations. And that's a really useful trait if you are leveraging a business of you hire me and I'll connect you to people I meet. Because I never get tired. You know, I love the process. I love meeting people. And it's simply the the results of that are now what I've built a business on. I was meeting people before. I just wouldn't make getting anything for it. Now I'm meeting people, making introductions to my clients. Everybody wins. And I got a business built out of it. Yeah. I also interviewed somebody once who had ADHD and described it as a superpower. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what it sounds like you're saying. Yeah. Well, and, and I actually launched a podcast called Neurodiversity Superpowers to interview people who feel it is a superpower and tell that story. Because there's so many younger people, you know, me 20 years ago, who need to hear these examples of your dyslexia, your ADHD, your OCD, your your Mm -hmm. chronic depression, whatever it is. Here's someone who has the same thing you do, but here's how they're using it. Whereas if you're in school and the teachers are like, well, if we give you enough drugs, we can probably squeeze you into this box so you can go get an office job someday. Uh Versus... Oh. If you can lean into this thing that makes you unique, you can be a millionaire like the person on this podcast. Yes. Oh, this is wonderful. This is wonderful to be such a motivator out there right now and a voice that your uniqueness, whoever you are, is not only has value, but hello, you can make money off of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's kind of the way I was going. Um, you know, the way I was trying to go with that is to. And and also for employers too, because I think a lot of employers they talk about you know accommodating neurodiversity. And if if I'm a boss and I hear accommodating neurodiversity, I say, what's that going to cost me? Uh And that sounds expensive. And it turns out it's usually not. Often costs nothing. It's simply a matter of recognizing that this worker, due to the way their neurology works, shouldn't go to meetings. And if they can never go to meetings, you know, and that doesn't cost anything. You just need to adjust who does what on the team, and which you should be doing anyway as a good boss. Well, what is Talk more about neurodiversity, what that is. So neurodiversity is any form of neurology that causes someone to interact with the world differently. So that's ADHD, autism, dyslexia, OCD, 
Uh, I, I had one person on the show as aphantasia, which is the inability to uh, visualize imagination. So he can, he can picture, not picture something, but he can perceive something doesn't exist. Like my business in a year will make a million dollars. He can perceive that, but where you and I might be like, okay, when I have a million dollars, I'm going to picture myself driving my new car, talking to my employees. He can't picture any of that. He's just like, there will be a spreadsheet. It will say a million dollars and I'll make a million dollars. And with that, I can buy these things. And da, 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 da. Um, so there's all these different ways that that the that the human brain comes in a whole bunch of different configurations besides the, the standard off-the-shelf configuration. And of course, it's a continuum too. You know, Some people are a little ADHD. Some people are a lot ADHD. Some people are more um, inattentive type. Some people are more hyperactive type. There's all kinds of different ways. But the the point is, because brains operate differently, they are good at some things and not so good at other things. Uh, you know, an, an example I use the metaphor is is picture a a jeep, uh-huh. you know, a four by four jeep. Now jeeps don't handle that great on highways. They don't have very good gas mileage. Uh, they're not the smoothest ride. But if I take my Honda Civic off road, you discover what a jeep is for. I'll get about ten feet and get stuck in the mud. Whereas the Jeep's going to go through bouncing through the puddles and, and jumping over the roots and climbing up mountains. And um, so, you know, the, the, the off-road vehicle is optimized for off-road, but most of the most of travel is highways. So when you're on the highway, it's like, this is not a great car. Once you get to the mud, it's a great vehicle. Same thing with, with ADHD. You put me in a job where I've got to process spreadsheets and pay attention to details and notice if there's a 0.01 variant somewhere in something, I'm going to be terrible at that job. And so if you judge me on that, you'd be like, he's a terrible worker. He's lazy. He's distractible. He's no attention to detail. Just awful. But you put me into a networking environment and I meet someone and and it, it's almost like a, a psychic phenomenon. I'm talking to someone be like, oh, you know who you need to meet? You should talk to this person and this person and this person. And then I get an email three weeks later. Oh my God, I talked to him. It was amazing. How'd you make that connection? That was incredible. We're doing this huge deal together because that's where my superpower is. So it's, and and as an entrepreneur, a lot of neurodiverse people go into entrepreneurship because they can follow their path where it's supposed to lead versus in corporate where it's like, you work for us, you're an interchangeable cog. Here's where we're going to put you, do the job the way we want you to do it. And entrepreneurship, you can do it your way, but that's something a lot of companies lose out on their on the best workers because they try to treat everyone the same. Yes. And if you're willing to be a little more dynamic and accepting, now that makes leadership more difficult because when you're leading a hundred people, you have to lead a hundred people, individual people, not a team of one hundred. Exactly. Um, it's like having a fleet of several different types of cars, like yeah. you explained. <laughs> yep. But yeah, it's not too difficult to do it if you're not obsessed with control. Uh-huh. Um, I'm, I'm right. So I, one of my hobbies is, is studying history and the Prussian military, which was like the, the gold standard of militaries in their in their heyday in the uh, 18th and 19th century. They their concept was to give clear but limited orders. So instead of saying, okay, take this unit and take them around to the right, and this unit's going to go to the left, this unit's going to go up the center, and this unit, it's, they would instead tell the, you know, the army commander, take the town. Uh-huh. No details. They just say, take the town. You know, the, 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 the general in charge of the army, he knows what supplies he has. He knows what resources he has. He knows what the land looks like. So they just tell him, take the town or, you know, take the town in 48 hours. And that, that's the whole, the whole set of words. There's, there's uh, one example of a, 
of an order from the 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 top commander that said, "I want to sleep in this city tonight." That those were the orders. So it was basically, you know, do it. I don't care how you figure it out. You know what your standing orders are. You figure it out. Most companies don't do that. Most companies are do it this way and this way, and then at three o'clock you know do this. And I'm a meeting at four o'clock, and you know this stuff because. As opposed to you tell the team leader, hey, I want you and your team to do this task. These are your deliverables. This is how you'll know it's done. You do it. And that allows the team leader with a team of six or so who knows their individual people's strengths and weaknesses and whatnot to manage them individually and maximize them as opposed to the big boss saying, all right, everyone needs to come in at nine o'clock, leave at five o'clock, do this, do that, have this kind of computer, have their desk set up this way, no personal items. Uh, When you do those things, you lose efficiency. And you lose productivity and you're going to lose your best people because your best people could work anywhere. Yeah. Your mediocre people, those, those people, they, uh, they they need the job because they can't find another one. Your best people, they could have a new job tomorrow. They're only staying around because they like you. So, uh, you know, you're going to lose your best people and be left with mediocre people unless you give them the environment they want. So accommodating neurodiversity doesn't cost money. It makes money. Mm-hmm. Not accommodating neurodiversity. That's what costs money, and that can be really expensive. Mm-hmm. It sure sounds like you would be the leader of your own company. There's a way in which I like to hear your vision. And I think sometimes the way you were describing leaders as being very controlling and, well, anals, we say in psychology. <laughs> but this whole idea of being open to some vision and uh, Holding the possibility, I guess, is what I'm I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. It. Uh, and it's not the how, it's the 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 vision. Yeah. Yeah. And it's making sure everyone understands the vision and the the ultimate objective. because uh, you know, no one person can can be responsible for for the individual actions of a whole bunch of other people. You only have so much bandwidth, you only have so much memory, so much capacity. And even even when you're talking about being responsible for one or two people that gets to be a lot. If you're trying to be responsible for dozens or hundreds, mm-hmm. then you you massively lose efficiency. And mm-hmm. and also, you know, everyone should be working in their their zone of genius. They should do what they're great at. So, if you're the boss and you're the boss cuz you're great at leading a team, you shouldn't be worrying about if the reports are in 11 point font or 12 point font. That's not mm-hmm. your zone of genius. And if it is, you probably shouldn't be the boss. You should be like a graphic designer cuz that's what you should be doing. So, yeah, you know, the boss needs to do boss things. It needs to be at this high strategic level, letting the people who are good at what they do. Now, they may say, well, but the team is terrible at laying these reports out. They don't make any sense. Well, then put someone in that team who knows how to lay a report out. Or sometimes they're terrible at it because they're not allowed to do their job. They try to do it and they're second guessed or they're sp- spending all their time waiting for approvals or something else is happening. Um, but yeah, it's it's about letting people work in their in their zone of genius, letting people work in their greatness. And the more you do that, the more stuff's going to be. And, and and that's also why I, I don't do much in the corporate space because uh-huh. I just, I don't have the patience for, for the uh-huh. corporate politics and, and all that. Now, if, if someone in corporate says, Hey, our team, we'd love to teach them how to network and get them out there, building their networks. I'll totally come in and teach them, but I don't have any, I don't have any patience for the corporate rigmarole. Um, I want to work with entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs, the boss is the boss, the owner's the owner. And if he says we're going to do something, we're going to do it. And that's, you know, I want to deal with people. I don't like dealing with with entities, with organizations, because that's just my, I don't have the attention for that, quite frankly. 
You know, one of the things that you just said that I feel like is uh, inspirational for anybody who's listening today, and that's the zone of genius. Mm -hmm. And it helps me go, well, so, uh, you know, I just want to highlight that is that people are trying to fit in boxes and finding your voice is something about finding your zone of genius. Mm. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's realizing that that you you have some zone of genius. There's something you're great at. There's a lot of people out there. They're they're working crappy, unfulfilling jobs because they don't think they're great at anything. Yes. And and I'll often talk to these people and they'll say, "Yeah, the only thing I'm good at is is this thing." But and there's always a but. But mm-hmm. I don't have a degree. But I don't have a certification. Yes. But I don't have mm-hmm. this. I don't have that. And mm-hmm. half the time, I'll say either you don't need that certification or there isn't a certification. I've had people say, I can't do that because I don't have a certification when, when such a certification doesn't. Now, you can get certified in anything. There's someone online who will take your money in exchange for a course and a certificate in any subject you want to be certified in. <laughs> but plenty of industries, now there's some like you know psychology, you need to be properly credentialed to be a psychologist. But there's plenty of places where you don't need those kinds of credentials, uh, especially you know knowledge work. Um, different kinds of coaching, teaching, uh, graphic design, marketing, all kinds of things like that, where you can start now, work towards that, start helping some people, start getting paid to do some things. And then you want more certifications? Go get more certifications. You want more education? You can do that. Mm-hmm. But you, there's no there's no reason to wait for, mm-hmm. oh, when I get my degree. I mean, unless you're under 23 and currently in college, I don't like hearing when I get my degree. Because if you're 33 and you're working on your bachelor's, there's no when I get my degree. <laughs> like that's just, that's the infinite future out there. Mm-hmm. Now, do it now. Now is the time to do it. Otherwise, you're just, you're, you're, you're putting it off to put it off. Because it's easier to say, well, I'll just take one more class and see where that goes. Then I'm going to launch a business. One of those is scarier. But to me, the idea of being stuck of, you know, taking two classes a year and being on a nine-year career uh, education trajectory, at the end of that, all I'd have is a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. That's way scarier than starting a business to me. Mm-hmm. The yeah. image of 20 years went by and I said, what happened to my 20 years? Yeah, That's exactly. what terrifies me. Yeah. Starting a business, win, lose, or draw, mm-hmm. that's yeah. not scary at all compared to discovering my life is over and I didn't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Well, this zone of genius, and then you mentioned psychologist. I just had somebody who wanted to explore working with me, and uh, we had an initial call. And uh, she told me that the person she had been working with her expected her to do something, and when she didn't do it, he would get upset. He said, "You didn't do what I said to do." And uh, she said, "I." What she loved about my interaction with her was that she felt I respected her, that mm-hmm. I listened to her. And I think that as a psychologist, that, I mean, finding my zone of genius feels like, ooh, I get to listen. You know, I I love bringing out the the magnificence in people. And today with you, you know, people can't, if they're listening, they can't see how wonderful you are. You're just beaming. It's like, I think when you're in your zone of happiness or your zone of genius, you just rate it. People can radiate and mm-hmm. it's, it's magnetic. And that's what I feel like you are is you're, um, yeah, you're, 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 you know what you're talking about, but yeah. you're also just your presence, you know, just 
just the sparkling you is what I I'm enjoying today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I like to say I'm good at two things. I'm good at making connections and expressing myself and not much else. So, you know, sometimes people are like, yo, how are you such a great connector? How how have you built a business networking? I say, because I'm not good at anything else. I know plenty of people who are better networkers than me, but they're better funnel builders or marketers or whatever than networkers. So networking is a secondary thing they do. So they don't focus on it. I'm, there's nothing I'm better at than making connections and networking. So that's what I focus on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and by doing that, because I think that's the thing people need to realize, you don't have to be the best at what you do. You have to focus on what you are best at. And that will make it marketable and valuable because there might be someone better than you, but one, not everyone can afford or find that person. And two, that person doesn't do the things the same way you do. You know, you, if you're, say, a, you know, a coach and you're like, well, I'm not Tony Robbins. I'm not Les Brown. I'm not Gary Vaynerchuk. Okay, cool. Well, the people who you, you can help can't afford Tony Robbins, Les Brown, or Gary Vaynerchuk. And even if they could, the program they get into is probably a you know 20-person group program where they get to see the big coach for 30 minutes a month. And at your level, you can serve them an hour a week and help them make much greater progress. So it's good that you're not Tony Robbins yet because people need the person who's getting started, the person who's charging $70 an hour instead of $7,000 an hour. You know, it, there's there's a niche for everyone. And sometimes that niche is not the top of the market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, again, what I'm getting from you today is this uh, not only be all you can be, but it's like, know who this is. It, it's not about trying to uh, get somewhere. It's about already being somewhere and acknowledging mm-hmm. that and grounding that and growing from the who you already are. So that I that's the message I'm leaving today with. Definitely. We're coming to an end and I want to, I mean, you've already blessed us with so many good, good, wonderful nuggets. Is there some way you wanted to say something? Oh, I know. How do people find you? It's uh, obviously on your um, on your screen there. On my website here, yes. So if you go to guywhoknowsaguy.com, that is the repository of all the different things I do. And I also do now have an app, the Guy Who Knows a Guy app. So if you search any of the app stores um, and the app is a kind of a library of content, video, audio, uh, blog posts, all kinds of different things. And it's free. It's just a lot of me on your phone. Um, but so there's the app and there's also the website, guywhoknowsaguy.com. And at both those places, you can get a copy of my book, The Guy Who Knows a Guy, which tells how I became the guy who knows a guy and how you can follow and become a networker and a connector yourself. Good. Thank you. Uh, in addition to how to find you, uh, because it's hard for me to let go of you because I'm having a lot of fun. <laughs> Give us one more thought. One more thought. So yeah. I, I think the, I just want to most... say how, because you've been so articulate, I love the way you paused right there. You just paused and reflected and, hmm, what, where, what's going to come? <laughs> yeah, that's one of those interview tricks is, is if you don't have an answer to a question right away, uh-huh. you repeat the question slowly as a statement to buy time, but it sounds very thoughtful. Yes. Give us one more thought. One more thought. And by the end of that, I had what the thought was. Now I've lost it, but I'll come up another one. Uh, but uh, so, so I, I think the, the most important uh, thing that I, I would leave people with is that 
everyone has a gift. Everyone has something to share, something they are they are best at, um, uniquely best at. And oftentimes people will have this, this thought of like, who am I to start a business? Who am I to start a podcast? Who am I to whatever? And I would turn that around because you didn't give yourself this gift. You were given this gift, depending on what you believe, by God, by the universe, by sheer random happenstance. But it was given to you and trusted to you and not anyone else. So the question is not, who are you to do this thing? The question is, who are you to take this gift and stick it in a closet and not share it with anybody? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Thank you for being with us today for this episode of Find Your Voice, Change Your Life. Each person during interviews shares what has helped them find their voice. You can learn from these guests and find your voice so you can be confident to speak up and speak out. And remember to download Doreen's free seven-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll return next time. Until then, goodbye for now.